everybody. Welcome to the Rupa Subramanya Show. I'm Rupa Subramanya. So everyone's probably heard of Elon Musk labeling the CBC as government-funded media. Previously, that tag was used in countries like Russia and China, where the state broadcaster is directly under the control of the government and doesn't really have any editorial freedom. However, the new Twitter has branded the BBC, NPR, and PBS, and most recently the CBC as government-funded media. Following the lead of their American counterparts, the CBC has decided to, according to them, pause their activity on Twitter and felt that their editorial independence was questioned by this tag. To talk about what's been happening at the CBC, I'm joined today by award-winning journalist Trish Wood. She hosts a popular podcast, Trish Wood is Critical, and used to host the Fifth Estate on the CBC for nearly 10 years. I've been on Trisha's podcast a few times, and it's my great pleasure to have her on my show today. All right, um, so welcome welcome to my show, Trish. It's a, a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure to have you here with me to talk about the CBC. That's what's been buzzing right now. Um, as you probably heard, the CBC uh, was labeled as government-funded media, uh, and, and they decided to pause their activity on Twitter for that reason. Uh, What do you make of this decision and their reaction to it? Well, I I must say that as somebody who was there, I I mean, I can probably characterize it as the good old days back in the day when we were practicing a much different kind of journalism. I, when I look at the CBC now, uh, especially covering two things, one of them was the Russia hoax, which they were all in on. And the other one, of course, was the convoy which, and you know that as well as I do. I mean, you were out in the convoy every day doing great stuff. And I could see that they weren't reporting what was actually happening. So for me, what, what the, the controversy now, in a sense, is over the wrong issue. Like, I, I, I'm not sure it matters where the money comes from. It's probably not great that it's government funded, but it did exist as a government funded organization when I was there. Um, and and, and this, the, the problems didn't exist. And I have a theory about why that is, if you want to know. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to go on too long, but I'm t- I need to be long-winded. But um, I, I think what's changed, Rupa, is the left, right? The CBC will always be populated by people driven, I think, by what they perceive as public service, kind of a leftward drift. And I was a card-carrying lefty voting NDP uh, when I was there. But, and that was not a bad thing in the sense that in those days, being a lefty meant that you stuck up for the working class people. You were probably anti-war, which never works out. In our lifetime, wars have never worked out, right? They're always misbegotten in some way. Uh, And we felt that our responsibility was to to speak truth to power, to use a cliche. You know, we we were the bulwark between the working people, the citizens of the country, and the powerful institutions that governed us and regulated products and airplanes and that sort of thing. Mm. So that wasn't a bad thing, but I feel that what's changed now is the left has changed. So the the left-leaning people, which is to say virtually everybody within the CBC, is captured, I think, by an ideology that is the opposite of those things. They go all in on the Ukraine war. They 
did not ask hard questions about COVID-19 and regulating the vaccines at all. I mean, it was absolutely shocking to me that they were, for instance, using phrases like safe and effective, which are definitive statements, right? Mm -hmm. Definitive statements about a pharmaceutical product that had only been tested for seven or eight months or six months or whatever it was. So I think what's happened is that ideology has creeped in to the mindset of the people who work there. I think a generation from now, people might have an answer as to why and how that happened, but it's happened. And I think that that's what's really, I I think that they're, I think they may know that they're telling a noble lie uh, for good reasons, but there's no such thing. I mean, you know that too, right? You can't yeah. just, yeah. And so I think that's what's happened. I, I, I think, you know, when Pierre Polev says, oh, we got to defund the CBC, I think we need to look at funding for CBC. I think we need to have a national conversation about how to staff the CBC with people who aren't all like a big blobby mind hive of, of, of agreement on things that most Canadians don't agree with, right? So I, I think, is there a, a psychological bent toward the liberal government because they're funding? Yes, but they're liberal anyway. So it's kind of it, you know, on one hand, this, on the other hand, that, right? I think it's really the way they think. And they probably think that they're doing wonderful things for the country. Obviously, they do. Mm. Yeah, no, you you, made, you make a good point contrasting the old ideology of the left um, and, uh, and the new left, which uh, just, um, you know, doesn't question, basically doesn't question anything that comes from the state. Uh, they just buy this narrative uh, wholesale and uh, it's a narrative that they actively promote as you as you pointed out in the context of the pandemic uh, there there was really no challenge to that government to that official narrative uh, one could say that you know there's always the C, a, a public broadcaster is always going to have some kind of a bias some kind of a liberal bias um, and, and so why is this particular ideology so problematic well, I think because, uh, and Glenn Greenwald said it this morning in his latest column in, when he was writing about this terrible, terrible event of having the Washington Post and the New York Times helping the FBI hunt down the leaker of the Ukraine docs, right? Mm -hmm. So so this kid leaks documents that show that the state has been lying to us, to them and then us, obviously, as people who are contributing to the effort. And, and saying that Ukraine is actually losing the war, which most of us knew anyway, right? So what happens here? The, the Washington Post and the New York Times are, are supporting the state's position instead of supporting the position of a free exchange of information the, the public needs. So look at the difference between that and Daniel Ellsberg, right? Mm -hmm. they, the Daniel Ellsberg, who did the Pentagon Papers, which said eventually the same thing, um, was a celebrated hero and defended by the news media. And this mm -hmm. kid, they've got the news media with the help of Bellingcat, who was a Russia hoax uh, pusher of information and, and very, very sort of connected to the security state spooks who are doing bad stuff in America right now. Um, the newspapers were actually hunting down a guy who would be a revered whistleblower any other time. So how does that connect to CBC? It's the same, I think, deference to power. I'll give you a, a for instance, um, uh, Trudeau held a news conference, I believe in 2021, where he said that anti-vaxxers, which is a phrase the CBC should never have used, it's hate speech and it's imprecise and it's untrue. 
right? Um, he said anti-vaxxers were going to kill children. We're going to hurt our children. They were going to kill our children. Imagine that. Mm. I to say. And I didn't hear anybody at that news conference challenging him on that. So where's your evidence for that? Uh, children don't die of COVID unless they have comorbidities. What are you talking about? There was no, no pushback. So these extreme phrases that mischaracterized, there's so much wrong with what he said. I mean, it divided the country. It put a target on the backs of anti-vaxxers who were then not able to get, some of them couldn't even get surgery, right? And it also completely mischaracterized what we knew epidemiologically about children's risk from COVID-19, right? Mm -hmm. It was awful. And I didn't hear a single pushback. And that was carried out through many of the news conferences by Public Health and Theresa Tam and the Prime Minister. So those were the people in power during COVID, right? We acceded all of our, our whole democracy to public health. And there was nobody in between the power of public health and government and us, right? The media crossed the line, CBC in particular, in order to support the public health narrative, which we know in many cases was, was completely wrong. Do you think that situation was unique to Canada, um, especially when it comes to uh, public broadcaster? Do you think that the BBC or the C uh, or NPR or PBS conducted themselves uh, better, more professionally and ask the tough questions? Or is this unique to Canada? Uh, it's a really good question, Rupa. And I, sadly, I will say, I think they all did it. I mean, BBC was, their COVID coverage was was terrible. National Public Radio were the ones who said, oh, we don't touch stories like the Hunter Biden laptop. That's not even a, that's not even a story, they said, right? So I, I think they're all guilty of it in some way. Why is it more painful coming from CBC? For me personally, it's because I was there and I was there during a period of greatness. I was one of the first people hired on a show called The Journal, hosted by Barbara Freeman, Mary Lou Finley, who I loved and learned a lot from. So, you know, I, I was pulled up through, I think the bad, I, I missed the early days of As It Happens, which would have been like the perfect thing, but, but I was pulled up through a, a network of really talented, people and i do wonder from time to time what barbara from would say of course her son david is one of the worst people in the world right now. <laughs> that is it, right? but i mean he's terrible i mean yeah. he's terrible he's a terrible journalist but but I, I i i think it's just maybe cbc isn't necessarily worse although i'd have to really think about that but it's more painful for me because i expected more and i know many people there still you know, who I worked with and admire who are kind of involved. I mean, I think the Wendy Mesley story was pretty indicative. Like, what? why didn't Wendy fight back? She should have. It was ridiculous mm -hmm. what happened to her. They sold her down the river instantly. One of the, the company's senior journalists, because she dropped the N-word wrongly, insensitively. But is that worth an explosion? Instead of pulling the young person aside and saying, well, yeah, she shouldn't have done that. And she's going to apologize. Let's move on. But it was yeah. like, it was ridiculous and mm -hmm. there and there the fact that that could happen within the walls of the cbc without any i didn't hear her professional association defending her i didn't hear her colleagues defending her nothing so i kind of knew then that there were big big problems in there um you know so there have been different reactions uh to this labeling in different countries 
Uh, Australia's uh, public broadcaster ABC said they were, I think they were, they said they were more or less okay with this tag. It doesn't bother them. Why is the CBC so anguished by this when it's obviously factually 100% correct uh, that the bulk of their funding does come from taxpayers' dollars? I think because they've been soft on the prime minister and everybody knows it. I, I think that a lot of the criticism, and I'm not talking about, I think there's too much, I think some things they do well still, but but I think that they have been too soft on the prime minister. And, um, and once that starts happening, then people look for reasons. Most people who talk to me about this, I mean, the average sort of citizen thinks it's about the money, right? And I think it's, maybe about the money but mostly about the fact that people within the cbc are like-minded that they would have dinner with justin trudeau i I likely wouldn't but and he probably wouldn't want to have dinner with me either but but they're like-minded so that's that's the problem so i think this hit close to home and i think they failed on a number of fronts and they're very sensitive right now i think she is the worst catherine tate is one of the worst leaders of the corporation ever you know, she still has a place, five million dollar place in Brooklyn, mm. um, and and I, I don't mean to be kind to kind of sociologically um, uh, imperial about this here, but I mean, somebody who lives in a five million dollar house in Brooklyn, New York, which is the the hub of woke nonsense, mm. has no business running the CBC. I mean, that's not what it's about, right? I don't think they under. I don't think she understands why people are upset. I think they're digging in with a smear campaign. They're, you know, everything's misinformation and disinformation and, you know, indie journalists are all whites and all the stuff they do. And my advice to her, not that she'd take advice from me, but maybe she should, is that they need to really wonder why people don't trust them anymore. And they cannot win the argument by smearing their critics. They have I mean, indie media, look at you, look at me, indie media is growing like mad, right? Yeah. Everybody's got a contribution to make. There are fringe indie people too, for sure. But um, but the CBC has, it's time for, as they say, a reckoning. And the CBC's got to try to figure out why Canadians don't trust them anymore. And it's because of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you you said that the CBC actually does some good stuff. What are, what are some examples of what what you think um, you know some good content? What what is some good work from the CBC? What are its strengths right now? And we obviously know some of its weaknesses, but what are its, what are the CBC's strengths? Well, the radio service for me is the big thing. I worked at As It Happens and uh, loved it there, and. Um, I think the fact that it is designed to be a voice that stretches out into Kujuak and Haida Gwaii, you know, it's we have this huge and vast country and we're all really different. And I think the mission of the CBC, there's still a kernel of it left that people in remote places deserve quality journalism. I'm not sure they're getting enough of it, but 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 that part of it, the idea of it is still good. and. You know, I think investigative journalism within the CBC, there are a lot of people there who know how to do it. Are they doing it in the right way and covering, are they, you know, I'll give you a, for instance, on, on the convoy, that photograph of the Nazi flag, that was a classic fifth estate story back in my day. You'd look at it and say, that's weird. Why have they just got the one photograph? Why are they standing beside the Chateau Laurier? Who are those guys? What are they doing there? 
And like that great documentary about 9-11 called The Falling Man, where they took a picture and they said, what story does this tell? Yeah. It's a classic documentary investigative technique. That would have been great for them, but they didn't touch it because believing, I don't know this, I'm assuming, believing that the convoy was full of Nazis was more comfortable for the people who work at the CBC than believing that probably they weren't, right? Mm -hmm. So it took Rebel News to do that great story saying there's something hinky, there's something fishy. So so to answer your question, um, CBC does investigative journalism as well as anybody in the world, better than most places in the world. But figuring out who they should be investigating and how they should do it is, I think that's something that's been lost because of the ideology. Let's just say one more thing. The Jillian Finley story, right, which I'm sure you've been following. Um, she quit after 30 years over a remote work dispute. I didn't realize when that story first broke that she remote works from Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> so she's mad that they don't want to, like, is this about flying her back and forth from Nova Scotia? I mean, how tin-eared do you have to be mm, yeah. to demand that? Yeah. I, she says, you know, I think Bob McEwen is the guy she's talking about. She said he works remotely and it's funded, and I think he's in Quebec. Um, and, and yes, the CBC could be a lot better with women. The male hosts, I think, are, have always been treated a little bit better. But but um, but is this the time, is this the hill to die on when the bread line at the church down the street from me is now around the block, people are literally starving in this country, going to food banks, and you've got hosts at the national broadcaster complaining and quitting, in fact, retiring over the fact that the CBC doesn't want to fund their travel from Nova Scotia. I mean... Yeah, extraordinary. That It's just... Uh... Yeah, what can one say? It's just, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I wonder if the CBC uh, could become a wedge issue in the next election. Uh, you know, the Liberals are committed to funding it generously. The Conservatives under Pierre Polyevre would like to defund the CBC. Um, given that you've been inside and outside the beast, what do you think is the right way forward uh, as far as funding the CBC is concerned? Should it rely more on private money or uh, than taxpayers' money? That's a really good question. My view of the CBC is that it's lo as long as it is taking taxpayers' money, it needs to be squeaky clean. And that means that it cannot be as bad as everybody else. So the privately funded guys, who sometimes used to be pretty good are now egregious They're, I mean, they're terrible, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think that for the CBC to survive and fulfill this very, very high-minded and laudable mandate is going to require a whole rethink and a redo. I would rather, I think I would rather see a redo, but I'm not sure that we have in the institutions in this country uh, enough clear-headedness to do that, right? The cult, we're so divided as a culture right now. If you put someone who thinks like you or me or many of the journalists I know who are indie into the mix at the CBC, it would be probably, they'd be shunned. I mean, it would probably be <laughs> awful, right? So how do you, you know, never before has the country been so divided, I think. And so how do you have a national broadcaster that facilitates 
that kind of interesting editorial tension in a way that works. If, if they can't do that, then forget it. Then I would say, shut it down. I would say that, but I still believe in journalism and I believe journalism is expensive and doing it well costs money and it shouldn't be left to the vagaries of how much advertising you're selling. But at the same time, when you have a group of like-minded people who are failing editorially as the CBC is, that's a real, it's a real problem. I mean, it's heartbreaking for me to see this. Well, I'll give you a personal example. I used to be called uh, to come on the CBC uh, fairly frequently, actually, before the uh, protest, before the Freedom Convoy. And then all of those invites just uh, magically stopped <laughs> once they, you know, read what I was, uh, once they started reading what I was saying on Twitter and uh, my National Post column. And then, of course, my story for uh, Barry Wise, uh, it just stopped. And I was a little taken aback by that because I, I've experienced this kind of, it, it's just very unintellectual. Um, you know, it's the closing of the Canadian mind in a sense. You only speak to people that you agree with. It's very unfortunate. And I would have been very happy. I think it would, have, it would have made for a great conversation. I think it would have reflected really well on the CBC to invite someone who had a very different perspective on what was happening there, but they chose not to. And um, yeah. It, well, it, they, they were all kind of attached to... Uh, the, you know, there was a certain language around COVID mm. um, and and certain ways of talking about things that seem to be being proscribed. I don't know where that came from. I'm not a conspiracy. I mean, Rodney Palmer told me last week that that it that stuff or, or implied anyway, that stuff may have come from the Trusted News Initiative, which they all kind of signed on to. But but that when 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 journalists are repeating the same phrases, something's gone terribly wrong. Yes. And when the phrases are epithets, something has gone terribly wrong, hasn't it? Could you tell us what the Trusted News Initiative is? This is something that was actually, uh, uh, you know, while I was researching for the show, I came across this. And I, I believe this is something that the government um, floated this idea a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, I, I believe. My understanding of it is that it's an organization that public broadcasters signed into to 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 be members of uh, right and and it was to kind of push the idea that these were trustworthy organizations and and what's interesting about it is that i, I really sh i'll deep dive it at some point more although I, I don't know how much is public that's the other problem about it right mm -hmm. but the, but the people who were part of the trusted news initiative tended to cover the covid 19 pandemic in a similar way, right? So, yeah, uh, I mean, this this leads to me to my next question. There's a widespread feeling about among conservatives, uh, among conservative leading people, that the CBC has always had a pro-liberal bias, and it doesn't really represent the conservative uh, side of the spectrum, either small C or uh, conservative, or for that matter, the conservative party. Uh, with whom the CBC had a, has had a very hostile relationship. Uh, do you think there's some truth to this suspicion? And um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I do. I mean, I, I think that there that is, that's absolutely true. I think um, part of it is that I would guess that most of the people who work at the CBC don't vote conservative. Like I would just I would say, that. I'd be really surprised <laughs> if they did. So there's that part. Of, there's the human 
part of it. Um, and I think that that certainly back in my day, that tension was always there. But I did feel back then that there was a striving to um, to be fair. They're, like we kind of recognized that we were not conservative, mostly because of of social kind of wedge issues, right? We were different on those things. And I think arrogantly thought we were better, which I now kind of regret. But but I, I, I think now we are so entrenched in our siloed positions and the attacks on each other in the political sphere are also so uh, completely ad hominem and ugly that, I mean, the CBC, I suppose, does reflect what's going on in the culture. And one, would hope that it had a leader who could say, listen, people, we, we, we are the organization that is going to be so squeaky clean and fair editorially that we are going to lead the country out of this. The problem is that when the phrase Nazi is being thrown around or racist or he's a far right extremist, whatever, if that's how we're going to view people who don't agree with us politically or even culturally on many things, that's a, that's not a fixable problem. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other problem is that social media, um, people curate their own social media feeds. So people who are watching CBC, people working at CBC, people running CBC are getting fed their biases all day long in their social media feeds. And I'm that way too. I mean, I have to say, oh, I've got to get out of my silo and read the New York Times this weekend cover to cover. So I'm back. I always regret it when I do, but... <laughs> But, but, but you've got, you know, you have to pull yourself out of it, right? I get up in the morning and check my Twitter feed. That's the first thing I do. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I do. And I think that as long as we are siloed informationally in this way, there's going to be big problems. And the conservatives are, you know, who, like, I think Ron DeSantis has made a big difference because he was so good on COVID and he's so good on the culture war stuff that if we had a guy like that here, I don't think we do. I, my personal view is that Pierre Pilev is not that guy. I think he, I was very, very upset with his response about the, the European MP that came here and he was instantly out using the word vile, which is a signal that he's pandering to somebody, right? Without research being done. So that, I found that upsetting. Um, but we, I don't think we have somebody like that in politics here. I just don't think we do. Uh, in your experience of the CBC, did you ever feel there was um, a lack of editorial independence or that it, at any rate uh, the CBC seemed to have a mindset, we've talked about this, that matches more with the left than with the right, but did you ever feel that there was a lack of editorial independence of the CBC? I didn't, interestingly. The one... Well, we did the Airbus story. That was pretty scary because <laughs> um, we were, you know, we were talking about Brian Mulroney, um, but we were very fair. And of all the people, when he criticized that story, he didn't criticize us, which was quite interesting. I, we, we were so squeaky clean. But um, one story that there was a bit of balking at was one I did with Michelle Mativier, a producer there who's terrific, um, about the kind of matrix of satanic ritual abuse, multiple personality disorder, and recovered memory syndrome, which doesn't seem like much, but it was kind of taking over the country and 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 kind of like some of the trans extremism stuff that's going on now, mm -hmm. the the um 
this the psychological profession that was dealing with these issues had been well and truly captured, right? It was terrible what they were convincing people. They had 100 personalities that they'd been raped by their father for 40 years. And so Michelle and I, after, and this was what was so great about the Fifth Estate and CBC, we, we had time to think it through and do the research and talk about it. And we said, yeah, this makes no sense. So we were going off to to expose the folly of this. We were completely right about it. But we did, um, Kelly Crichton, who was the executive producer, bravely let us do it. We did two documentaries about it. She warned us that we were flying in the face of a really important idea. And the idea was that children actually are really raped by people and as are women, right? So, so we had to kind of put a disclaimer at the top when I'm introducing the tape and I'm sitting in the mm-hmm. studio saying, they had to say, yes, women really are raped and children, et cetera. And, and, and I didn't think that was necessary, but she, I, I knew what she was doing because so many gains had been made in that area that I think she didn't want it to seem like we didn't really understand there was a real problem, right? But, but also the opposite can be true. People do get confused. People do uh, get, um, children can be convinced to give evidence that's untrue if they're mm-hmm. interviewed a certain way, right? So that, I think that was the only time. Um, mm. Yeah, I think that was the only time. So I, I don't, I think there's a misperception that, you know, Trudeau calls Ms. Tate and says, or I, I don't, and, and he may, but I, I have no evidence of that. I, I just think that the staff there are ideologically very much in tune with with Trudeau right now. And um, there may be some pressure put on them on some stories. I'm sure there was around COVID-19 because their coverage was extremely uniform. Mm-hmm. They were all saying the same thing. They all had the same position. And Marianne Kloak from Winnipeg, who I interviewed and quit, resi- uh, retired over their COVID coverage, um, said that they were all of one mind about it. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the beauty of this, right? A Trudeau or a politician or liberal politician doesn't necessarily have to call the CBC uh, uh, and tell them this is the story that you should be pursuing because that's the beauty of uh, uh, buying into a certain kind of ideology. Um, you, you, you're just, you don't, you don't have to do that kind of thing. Everybody's on the same page. Um, yeah. Uh, so finally, Trish, I you know I know you you have to get going, but uh, where do you think? Uh, what's the future? And this is a broad question. What's the future of journalism in Canada, uh, given what's happening with the CBC right now? And as you rightly point uh, to the fact that um, the independent media space is thriving, I'm part of two uh, outlets: the Free Press in the U.S. and True North uh, here in Canada, and I can tell you. Um, you know, they're hiring, they're uh, producing a lot of great content. Uh, there's a lot of energy uh, within these outfits. Um, and then you have the CBC, this this giant of a uh, corporation, uh, you know, they just seem old and worn out and uh, fighting these petty battles on Twitter. And uh, what, what, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I, I have more concern about Canada than I do America. And mm-hmm. uh, like you're right about Indy. We've got Taibbi and Schellenberger and David Zweig and Leighton Woodhouse. We've got the whole, the Twitter files crew who are, con- you know, Cy Hirsch is, is writing again on Substack. Yay, I interviewed him on my show. It was so mm-hmm. fun. Um, Canada is more 
regulatory friendly. And I do worry about Bill C-11. I'm afraid of where that's going. It, 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 it seems to be a transfer of income from us back to legacy media and and, uh, and 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 that the idea is to regulate us in such a way that it might put us out of business and of course the crtc are you know they're unelected they're appointed what is like that's a very scary proposition and canadians sadly are not as we learned this during covid 19 they are not as adverse to that kind of informational control. Can I, I learned this now. Canadians will say, well, I can accept that terrible thing if it's for a good cause. It's like the Milgram experiment, right? Like I can accept that terrible thing if it's for a good cause. I didn't realize we had that in our national character. And I think that I really believe, and this is the symbiosis. I really believe that Bill C-11 is a sop to legacy media by the government, right? So they said, well, yeah, we're not calling them up but but look what we're doing we're making it really hard for their competitors to make a living i mean they mm. want to shut us down and i keep saying listen you know stop calling us uh disinformation and misinformation and all the stuff ms tate does when someone asks her a question about why why their audience is peeling off that's not why people listen to us because we're those things because we aren't those things where people are peeling off because they're failing right and i think that bill c11 is a is a way for the government to kind of save you know their precious baby uh, who's having a tantrum and i also think that the canadian public who should be horrified by that might not be and i that's what scares me i think the americans will be fine like Tucker Carlson gets 5 million people a night, right? Yeah, yeah. show. Yeah. We don't have an equivalent here yet. We may, but we don't. Yeah, the, no, that's, uh, I think you've nailed the problem here. I think we've just become so incredibly compliant and the pandemic was quite revealing on that front uh, where we just, uh, just uh, mindlessly just accepted whatever was told to us. And uh, um, uh, it's very unfortunate and it does not, uh, um, you know, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't really uh, bode well for the future uh, of uh, at least in the traditional media space. I think independent media will will be fine, but Bill C eleven concerns me quite a bit as well. Um, what is Canadian content? No one can tell me. No one's able to define it. And then you have this regulator, which has been given these extraordinary powers to determine what Canadian content is. And uh, as as I interviewed uh, Justin Bieber's mother because he got his start um, because of the fact that she was would post his videos on YouTube and that's how he got discovered. And uh, and she said, you know, she she put it, uh, you know, in, in, in a way that really resonated with me. She said uh, it's it's almost like they feel they're taking pity on us. They think that we can't hack the comp We can't take the competition that we cannot. Uh, they feel sad for us that we're not good enough. And uh, and that sort of captures the mindset, I think, at least for people who uh, want the government to step in, intervene and promote them over everybody else. Like you and I, who work extremely hard to distinguish ourselves from the pack. And um, yeah, and nobody's getting rich. Well, some people are getting rich. I'm not getting rich. But but I think just if I could just make this final point, uh, yeah. the, the other problem I think we have now that didn't exist 10 years ago is the idea that people who are indoctrinated into this way of thinking 
don't necessarily want facts. And that's another thing that we learned in the COVID time. And even I would say when Donald Trump was elected, you, you couldn't have a sensible conversation with people about him. Facts didn't matter. No, he's a terrible. Uh. Um, and the same thing around COVID. You, you can't say to people, look, here's kids don't die of, of COVID-19. Oh, they don't want to. And I, I think having had many conversations with people who are a little bit captured in this country, that they find comfort in hearing repeated the things they believe instead of things that are true. And that's what we have to break through to get back to a place where our informational streams are not completely corrupted by by bias and nonsense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trish, for uh, for coming on the show and uh, for this great conversation. And uh, uh, I really hope to have you back uh, soon. Uh, you know, next time maybe we talk about something other than the CBC. <laughs> Likewise, I miss having you on my show too. So I'm so glad you're doing well, Rupa. You're a real treasure and you changed the world with your with your convoy coverage. So oh, it's terrific. Oh, that's very kind of you to say that. And that means a lot to me coming from you. Thank you so much, Trish, and hope to see you, hope to see you again soon. Okay, bye. All right, bye. bye.